Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free lifestyle to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. This is the Secret Library Podcast. I'm Caroline Donahue. As a lifelong book lover, I've been hanging out with books as long as I can remember. Here on the show, we're going inside the world of books and learning what's involved in going from brilliant idea to finished manuscript and what it takes to get it out in the world. You'll hear from authors, publishers, editors, and all kinds of professionals whose work brings you what you read every day. The Secret Library Podcast is sponsored by Muse Monthly, a subscription box for literature and tea lovers. Get a brand new novel custom paired with a full box or tin of tea on your doorstep every month. Visit musemonthly.com and use the code SECRET00, all one word in all caps, for 10% off your subscription. So we're back with another episode of the Secret Library Podcast. Today, my guest is Tara Chalberg of Chalberg and Sussman in New York. And after graduating from UCLA and working in the film department, Tara Chalberg began her publishing career in 2002 at Scribner. Later at Simon & Schuster and Simon Spotlight Entertainment, now Gallery, she edited and acquired a diverse list of projects. As an agent, she represents a range of fiction and nonfiction writers, including Alison Amend, finalist for the Semi Rohr Prize for Jewish Literature and author of Enchanted Islands, Elise Blackwell, author of The Lower Quarter, Victoria Fedden, author of This Is Not My Beautiful Life, Margot Fragoso, author of the New York Times and international bestseller Tiger, Tiger, Isabel Isadora Gold, author of The Mommy Group, Laurie Oslin, author of the Barnes & Noble Discover Selection, finalist for the Center for Fiction First Novel Prize, Pharaoh Grumley Award nominee after the parade, and a recipient of a Rona Jaffe Award, Flannery O'Connor Award, Edmund White Award, California Book Award, and O. Henry Prize. Andrew Porter, Flannery O'Connor Award winner and author of the Barnes & Noble Discover Selection and Indie Next Pick In Between Days. Alex Taylor, author of Kentucky Literary Award finalist The Marble Orchard, Glenn Taylor, NBCC Award finalist in fiction and author of A Hanging at Cinder Bottom, and Diana Wagman, author of Barnes & Noble Discover Selection, The Care and Feeding of Exotic Pets. So as you can see, Tara represents some amazing people, and I'm just so excited to have you here. It is, as we were saying before we started, it's tricky getting agents because you guys are so busy. So I'm really honored to be able to talk to you about your part of the creation of books. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So we listed some of the books that you represent and the authors and that you do both fiction and nonfiction, but we do say there's an overarching theme to the kinds of work that you look for when you're, you're representing. Um, I like good stories. That's the main thing that I look for. And the writing and the voice are very important to me. Theme wise, it, it varies and it changes as I move along through life. I have found myself lately, or the books that I've 
represented that have come out maybe in the past couple of years um, really drawn to things that have to do with parenthood. And I will always be drawn to feminist kind of issues, like what you might find in I Am Jenny or what you might find in the mommy group. Not a lot of my nonfiction would point to that interest of mine, women's issues. That's great. Yeah, well, you're going to find a lot of support here for that. And then you started out in film at UCLA, but now you're working in, um, in, in publishing. So how did that happen? How did you get from UCLA all the way to New York where you are now? That's a good question. So I started, I really thought that my love of story was going to be most, I, was, I thought I was going to find a home in film. Uh, but it turned out as I kind of interned and and then worked for development executives over the couple of years that I was in LA after college that I just didn't really love it. I didn't love there. There are so many people working on a film, number one. So it's so, so, so collaborative and so many things have to fall into place. And you're not just kind of working with the story. You're, you're talking about directors, you're talking about actors, you're and then everyone else who was involved in a film. Not only that, so many beautiful, wonderful stories never actually get made. They just end up in what they call development hell or turnaround. And that's frustrating too. You, you know, you fall in love with something or you work on something, you give notes, and then it just never comes to, to see the light of day. Um, publishing is much more straightforward. You're working directly with the writer of a book and m- most frequently, I, I mean, I, I think... 95%, if not more, of the books that get under contract are published, uh, at least at the bigger houses. So ha- the way I actually found my way here is that I, I was working a, as an assistant somewhere in a, 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 an independent film production place. I think it was... Um, no, it wasn't on a, it was not on a lot. It was just in an office. And someone there had said, had told me that there was this course called the Radcliffe Publishing Course. And that turned into the Columbia Publishing Course. And I was the first year that it was the Columbia Publishing Course. That was my class. And it's a six week course that you take over the summer. And it really introduced me to the world of books and magazines as well. And my husband. So that was great. That's amazing. And so then after taking that course, you decided you wanted to work in publishing. And then did you go straight to Scribner or did it take a while? I think it took a few months and I worked before I found a full-time job. I worked for an agent who uh, whom I knew from working out in LA with a book to film agent. So it's the worlds had crossed and collided before I got out here. Oh, that's so interesting. And I've had that sense in film. I mean, I live in Los Angeles, so we hear about film all the time. But the whole frustration about why do we keep remaking stories over and over again? And it feels like publishing in many ways is more willing to take a risk on a new story and is, in fact, very encouraging of finding a new story. It's true. And that's because new stories and new authors don't have track records to grapple with. So often they're, they're actually the best bet and can do, you know, some of the biggest business. Um, and then you have your authors who are just, they have their, they have found their audience. And so every book you, 
you're guaranteed kind of a certain number of readers, and then hopefully you'll grow that audience further every time. That's the idea. So how did you end up starting your own company with, um, I know you're with Rachel Sussman and you have Sussman and Schalberg. Schalberg and Sussman. Yes. <laughs> Schalberg and Sussman. I'm like, wait a minute, that's not alphabetical. Um, yeah, that you have Schalberg and Sussman. Like, how did you all come together? How did you meet and how did you create that firm mm-hmm. together? We met at Scribner. So that was however many years ago, I think 15 years ago now. And she was an assistant and I was an assistant and she had been there for a while already. And we only overlapped for about a year. And then she went off to London um, to do some fancy London things. And I worked at Scribner and then went on to work at other imprints within Simon & Schuster. Um, But we remained friends and we, as we both became agents, um, she became an agent earlier than I did. But as I, I think maybe, I forget what year that was, I think maybe 2007 or 8, 2008 maybe, is when I became an agent with the Susan Gollum Literary Agency. And she was an agent at Zachary Schuster Harmsworth. And we, throughout those years that I was with Susan, we just kind of professionally consulted each other constantly. And we, since we've already, we had already been doing that, we kind of figured we might as well make it official. And it, it's been five years now. Oh, that's amazing. So this may be, I mean, this is going to sound really like uninformed, but I'm curious about what the, what it's, what the responsibilities are of an assistant and what the responsibilities are of an agent. And how does one go about becoming an agent? I'm curious about that whole evolution. Sure. Uh, for me, um, I mean, the agency side of things is, I call it the wild, wild west side of the business <laughs> because there are no rules. There is, there's, there, people do things completely differently. There are just all different iterations of what an agency is. Um, you know, so there are single person agencies and then there are agencies like ICM or WME where you have, a, it's almost more like a, a corporate environment. And that is, and then there's everything in between, you know, there's like the kind of mini boutiques, um, which is, I would say what we are. And then there's the kind of medium sized agencies. And and then there are the newer agencies like us. And then there are the ones who've been around forever and ever, um, who handle a lot of estates and there's, they're kind of all over the map. What was the rest of the question? (laughs) I'm curious what the sort of the, I don't know about the job description, but like of an assistant, like what does an assistant do? And then how do you get, you know, made an agent? Yes. Okay. So, so what I was going to say is you can become an agent, um, by just saying you're an agent really, but that doesn't mean that you have the contacts, the understanding of, um, how to pick the right clients and the right books and, how to run, you know, an agency and that kind of thing. So I learned a lot about that and what an agent does um, working for Susan Gollum. And that, as an assistant, I was just, I was working on everything that she was working on. um, And I had my hands in every little piece of that business, which was great because she ran a small business. So it was nice for me to learn how that happens. Um, in addition to how she chooses her material, which, I mean, she's, she's brilliant at it. That can't necessarily be taught because you, it's, it's all very subjective and what she 
might like, I might not like, and vice versa. And therefore, you kind of have to learn about the other parts of the business. You know, I, was, I learned a lot about the importance of contracts, publishing contracts from her, um, which is the nitty gritty uh, of, of what we as agents do. We protect authors. Um, and, you know, that means years and years down the line, too, you have to kind of have the foresight to think about what might happen down the line and, and when you're just working on a really long contract, um, which I really actually enjoy. Yeah, I, th- I think that's hugely important. I mean, having someone with you, you know, writers have to deal with writing a story and then having someone to support them is hugely important. Right. And so the actual leap from assistant to agent is, I would say it's different everywhere. It's more about finding clients and having sales and then going from there. So it's that idea that, you know, you're doing the work just like any, I think any profession, you're doing the work before you get recognized for doing the work. Mm, Yeah, that makes sense. And then you get the credit and then you're doing it officially later. Mm -hmm. So how do you know, like, I can't even imagine the amount of, of sort of messages in your inbox and queries and all sorts of things that you get. How do you filter through that? Sure. I, I, you get better at it as you go. So I've done it for a long time now, first for Susan and then for myself. And what I do is just, you kind of can tell because there are a lot of people who, there's kind of a tier. There, there are people who, writers who write just a mass email query and don't kind of take the time to find out who you are and address you um, individually and kind of show that they have an understanding of what books you represent, um, what, you know, what your taste is, those kinds of things. And so those I discount pretty easily because it's, they're impersonal and these people, you know, it's, it's not a professional way of, of writing a query. Because um, anytime you write a sort of piece of professional communication, you want, you want to <laughs> make sure it's actually to the person that you're meaning it to go to. But if I get a mass email that's addressed to dear sir or madam, oh, that dear. I don't, I don't, yeah, how do I know that's? That's for me. <laughs> um, so I discount those pretty easily. And then, um, and then I would say the second tier is if someone hasn't done the research but addresses me, it's still pretty clear that it's not for me um, by, you know, what if it's, if it's a genre that I don't represent. So that's another that, – those are other queries that I usually kind of skip. And then from there, it's really about reading – the project, reading about the project and reading about the person. And sometimes there are referrals from other people I know. Um, and so that's one thing I pay attention to, but it's also really about getting drawn into what you're reading. Um, and that's hard in a description. So I do now ask for the first five pages to be pasted into the body of the email, which is very very helpful for me as well. So how do you know, when you've got one that you, an author or a manuscript or, or both that you really want to work with? It's just, it speaks to me. It speaks to me in a way that, you know, um, kind of makes it rise to the top. And it's, it's, you know, queries are, some people find a lot of, of their clients through queries. And then I kind of 
find a smaller percentage, I would say, through query um, than, I mean, I think, I don't even know how, but I, I, I know many, many great agents who find a lot of, um, a lot of clients through queries. So, I mean, that also kind of keeps me going, you know, that you can not know me and I cannot know you and we can connect over your piece of writing. That's, that's really what it's about is that connection. Um, and it is so subjective. So the way I can tell is if I'm, I'm feeling the feels, if I'm, if I'm saying, oh my gosh, that's so true to life. Oh my gosh, that's the way this person wrote that is like perfectly speaks to me. Um, that kind of thing. It's really about the writing for me. And then, of course, if it's something topical that I'm, I'm really interested in, um, whether it be an overarching theme of my work in general or just something I'm interested at that moment, that also is something I pay attention to. I'm curious. So, so obviously, people should not write letters to dear sir or madam when querying an agent. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else that they do where you're just like, no, you've lost me? Because I think people may lose potential agents without realizing it. And any suggestions or tips you have would be amazing. I think some people try to be too like cutesy and funny and kind of, it just doesn't, it falls flat. (laughs) You know, I think more, it's it's better to be genuine and, um, and earnest and authentic and whatever authentic means these days. It's such a loaded word, but it's that sort of way sometimes people try to be think they're trying to be different or I've had people comment on my looks which is inappropriate yeah (laughs) Um, that seems that seems not good there are people who kind of acknowledge that I may have maybe so that I'm so busy and that I may have so many queries and that they hope that I read theirs um that's a given so it's not necessary to acknowledge that also we have, I don't know if it's as clear on our website as it used to be, so I need to look at look at this again, but generally we have a policy as a childbirth assessment that we don't respond to queries unless we're interested. Um, some people do. I respond to every single query, but that would be, I think, take up like the majority of my day. So <laughs> um, if I passed on actual queries rather than manuscripts that I've requested. So we only... You know, I only get in touch if I'm interested in requesting the manuscripts. And then people who don't, they don't know that, or they resend the query and ask if I saw the last query. That's also sort of something that I, it doesn't need to happen. Um, sometimes people, you know, forget to attach some, or forget to put something in the email. And that's, you know, and that's fine if they, if they need to resend it after that, um, but, you know, there are just those those little things that kind of don't need to happen that I think writers probably just get so caught up in thinking about. And it's not, you know, but it's not necessary. Yeah. So if they don't hear from you, you know, in a couple weeks, they should just let go. Yeah, I would say give it a chance. So if someone is looking to find an agent, so obviously that's why they're contacting you or anyone else. What do you think is the best way for people to go about finding an agent? Is it because, you know, sounds like some people do use queries, but you get them other ways. So do you find that you get most of your authors through referral or is there some other source where you find them? Well, these days, a lot of people who write books, um, it's there. I mean, it's almost 
a given in um, nonfiction, but on in fiction too, you are often looking for platform. I mean, you're looking for people who have been able to access some kind of an audience online usually. And so I often reach out. I find my authors by reading something they've done on the web or if someone in my Facebook page, in my Facebook feed, I've actually found quite a few authors just by reading my Facebook feed and things that my friends have have posted, which is really cool. And it, from there, I just follow my interests and um, kind of click, click, click. And there I am at this person's wonderful self-published memoir. Um, that's, that's how I found Victoria Fedden, whose memoir, just whose first pub, trade published memoir came out this summer with, from Picadora called This Is Not My Beautiful Life. That's so great. So in some ways, it's like just going about your business, writing your work and putting it out there. It's possible mm-hmm. that agents will come to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. She had written a blog post, Back to School 70s versus Today. And so, you know, it was all about <laughs> it's all about what moms are going through today when we're when we're sending our kids back to school versus what we growing up um, were experiencing as kids. And, it, and I mean, the, just it's night and day and it's hilarious. And so that went viral and was shared by so many people. Um, and that kind of um, viral post is, is really a really great way to um gather some attention and the more you can do that the better like um the guy who did the tweets about his dad justin halpern yeah shit my dad shit my dad says yeah yeah and that was a long time ago but now it's people like that are are everywhere who are who are writing books it's kind of amazing we talked to mary laura philpot on the show and she was doing a tumblr when penguin random house merged and she called them the random penguins and she was doing these drawings and all of that. And then Penguin Random House actually reached out to her and said, we actually think we think this is funny. So we want to put your book out. That's great. Yeah. So that's a great argument for blogging and writing and sharing your work. Because I think people get fearful like, oh, either I don't want to put it out there because I don't know, because I'm nervous. Or does it really matter? Is anyone reading blogs? Which clearly they mm-hmm. are. So it's wonderful to hear you say that. Definitely. And there, I mean, there are a lot of online outlets that you can write for too. I know um, Victoria is writing for Your Tango, which is a relationship website and lots of other ones, Babble, Scary Mommy. And then also there are, there, for literary fiction and there are, con- there are probably for so many different kinds of fiction, um, there are just wonderful contests and awards and things like that that can also really garner a lot of attention. And that's how I find some of my authors also. That's great. And as we can have learned from your bio that you have some wonderful award-winning authors um, that you're representing with their books. Yes, thanks. So if somebody finds someone, so let's say, let's say they've put work out there and an agent approaches them, what should people ask as a writer of an agent as if they're thinking of working together? Like, what do you think it's, in, I mean, cause it's a, it's a relationship obviously, and it's a fairly intimate one because you're working with their work. What do you think mm-hmm. people should ask when considering working with an agent? That's a good question. I think I would ask about an agent's process, how one you know goes about submitting work and finding the right house and all of that, and then what happens after. You can often tell by the, the authors the agent represents, you know, um, whether you'd be a good fit. 
but sometimes uh, that agent is just purely interested in the topic that you're writing on, but really hasn't represented anything like that. And that's also can be fine. Um, if you, if you guys are a good fit, it's, I think it's about a rapport, having a rapport with this person, being able to also being able to, um, say or understand that they're going to be representing you for as your career grows, not just for one book, even though that's, you know, that's really how an author and an agent come together is through the work. It's, it's really about the career as a whole that uh, you want your agent to be interested in. They've asked me things like, which houses do you see this book at? That kind of, that kind of question. Um, and, And that way you can kind of also tell whether you are, a good fit because maybe these are houses that you've also seen kind of on the spine of the books that you love and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. So it fits your vision. Exactly. And, and that's the other thing I, I like to ask of authors is, you know, what kind of vision do you have for this book? And mm. then hear from them what their vision is and also what they feel that their book is about, because it's important to me to be able to hear what an author, why an author wrote this wonderful, amazing piece of work. And sometimes it's different from what I've in, the way I've interpreted it. And so that's always good because you can either take that and kind of use, use it in your positioning of the book, meaning like the way you talk about the book. Um, or you can say, oh my, you know, that makes you also realize maybe, wow, this, is, uh, this person sees something that I don't see and I won't see. And so that's not a good fit. You know what I mean? Got it. Yeah. Like, oh, that's not a direction that I feel like I can work with mm-hmm. or that I'm able to do justice to. Yeah. And actually that your comment there just made me think that, made me think of another thing that authors should ask, which is, do you see, you know, does this work, does this manuscript as it stands needs work? How much work? What do you see yourself doing editorially? Um, those kinds of things, like what specific ideas you have if you if you do have them, which I often do. So will you take a book saying, oh, this is amazing, but I might change a few things or maybe there's something that needs a little bit more development. Will you work with it at that point or does it have to be done? That's a, it's kind of a murky question because it depends, but for the most part, I would say for fiction, for literary fiction, yes, I would that's or if it's a full manuscript yes if it's at the very beginning of a process then there may be more work to do not only on the initial kind of piece of of writing but also on platform and and, and that kind of thing so maybe the author should feel that it's finished it should be at the point when the author (laughs) feels it's finished before it's going to an agent yeah, so unless it's nonfiction and there's some, you know, moment that is, you're, you know, you're having a moment and everyone's after you and you kind of need to sign with an agent right away because, because it's the right time kind of thing. So with fiction, it's, it's kind of, it's harder to say what the right time is, I would say. No, that makes sense. But you, would you take a proposal from a, from a nonfiction writer or would it have to be further along than that? Definitely. It's just that often there is, if you are being approached by an agent, it's maybe even before you've written a proposal. Um, 
it's on the basis of your platform and what you've already done. And then in terms of like if it, if you yeah, I mean if you're if you're seeking an agent and you're doing you're writing queries, you should have a proposal already done. Some version of a proposal at least. So once you have signed with somebody or you guys have decided you're going to work together, what's the next step for you? Like, how do you start thinking about which press or where a book is going to end up? That and the way I position the book in my letter to editors is something that I, I like to collaborate on with the author. Just at least initially having the conversation about where they envision the book and that kind of thing. And then often you have your list of houses and editors, but that can change just based on a variety of circumstances and what your research tells you this person that has recently bought and, you know, versus this person, because there's definitely more than one editor at an imprint that you can send, you know, a lot of, a lot of books to at least. And then sometimes they'll be just like the perfect person for this book. And you know that right away, just based on something you talked about with that editor recently kind of thing. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's something to remember, and maybe people don't know this, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that it's important to remember that everyone dealing with a book along the process is a human, and they have interests and strengths and topics that they love and things that really light them up. And I think it's easy to think of a press or any part of the process is like an institution that that doesn't have feelings. And and that just isn't true. That's why we all got into books is because we love them and we want to we want to champion them and we want to find those wonderful books that we really spark to. I can imagine. So what books have you been really excited about in the past few years or which ones have you really been pumped up about? Are you talking about my books or the book any the marketplace or any books? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it's hard to talk about my books because they're like they're like children in the way that you don't you want all your children to feel equally loved. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That sense. I will say that I'm I'm really proud of our year this year and kind of how we've how we've done in the past five years and the the agency that we've built. And we have a new website this year and we have a new Facebook page. So the visibility is definitely something we've been working on this year as well. And then in terms of books that have come out that I love well, and then on the nonfiction side, I'm, I'm actually reading a lot of nonfiction lately. And, and I would say it's not squarely in the category of personal development, but there's that kind of element to books I've been drawn to lately, such as the one that became the Oprah book pick called Love Warrior by Glennon Doyle Melton. That was a wonderful book about just how to be human in the world, really, mm. and how to be comfortable in your own skin. Um, and that's something, you know, we all struggle with and we all hope to improve on every each and every day. And, and that uh, message was overarching in that book and the way she talked about that issue was exquisite. I'm also reading some books from this, six, a book from the 60s and a book from the 70s. I'm reading a book on parenting from the 60s, which is so refreshing, I have to say. Oh, wow. Um, compared to a lot of the books you read today, there's just so much anxiety in parenting these days. What is it? What's it called? It's called Children the Challenge. <laughs> That's it's, awesome. I know. And it's by a psychiatrist named Riker, I want to say. I don't even know how to pronounce his name. 
I'm reading a book called Passages by Gail Sheehy, which I was, she wrote in 1975, which is, so that's 40 years old now. And it's, it's just really still so applicable. It's the subtitle is the predictable crises of adult life. Mm, That sounds very Mm -hmm. helpful. I have heard of that book, but I haven't read it. And somebody said it was really wonderful. So it's great to hear about it again. Yes. A couple of prospective prospective clients that I was talking to brought it up and I thought I really it's coming up again and again I really need to read it and it's it's really great um children the challenge is Rudolf Dreikers d-r-e-i-k-u-r-s okay great and that an editor was reading that and I thought oh my gosh I have to read it it's so fun to think about sort of trends in writing and it's almost it reminds me of movies that are historical movies that are made in a particular era and then you look back at them later and are like oh my god that's so that era when they were made, as well as the mm-hmm. historical era they were representing. Like the one I always yeah, think about yeah. is The Great Gatsby with Mia Farrow. And it looks so early 80s to me now, looking back at it. And I, I wonder what kinds of trends we'll look back and see about publishing nowadays. Do you have any sense of what that might be? I mean, it's hard when we're swimming in that water. Sure. Um, gosh, there are, there are... Every category is so crowded. (laughs) So in order to rise to the top, you have to really capture some sort of zeitgeist. There was bringing up Bebe in terms of parenting books. And and then there was the Japanese organization, Marie Kondo, the magic of tidying up. That was translated into English and put out by an independent press. And I don't even know how many copies it sold, but it's on the tips of everyone's tongue and it's who knew right so there's something that these books are saying about our society at the time that they're that they're out that it's is something we all need and and talk about the main way books like that become runaway bestsellers is by word of mouth that just everyone's talking about it so it's a conversation piece so that's what you know, a lot of the, the successful nonfiction is doing now. And in terms of fiction, there there are those books right now, too. There's the Colson Whitehead book that Oprah also picked. Um, so there's race is a huge, huge topic in fiction and nonfiction right now. And I think that's not going away anytime soon. And that's, that's great, fortunately, and not going away anytime soon. That's one I can really think of that's, that's of the moment and just growing in intensity. Yeah, absolutely. I, there is more in that. And and I talked to Natasha Dion, which, who I know worked with your partner, Rachel, and yes. she was talking about how when they were trying to place the book that um, Homecoming was sort of this argument for, oh, well, we already have a book on that topic. And it's just amazing to me that I'm so happy to see race taking up more space in the in the publishing world because there's so much to say about it. It just seems crazy to me. Like, oh, we already have one book on that in this in this season. We can't really have another one. And I feel like people want to read about that and that there's there's more desire to read about that than maybe anyone realized. Yeah, and and there's just there's a an awareness um, that's evolving, and that is really where it's coming from, I would say, is from books and voices in books and then just collective voices on social media and and in the media and everywhere. Books really, there's 
they get the conversation started. There's a, there's a sort of, there's a touch point or a touchstone, you know, that, that books act as, um, for these kinds of conversations, which is what part of what make books very important in my mind. Oh, I think so too. I think it's, yeah, if you read about something and then you want to talk about it, then it does. It changes things for people more than just by themselves reading the book. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So what's coming out this fall that, that you're excited to read? I know you probably get a bazillion galleys in advance, but what is there anything that you're really excited about that's coming out this fall that you think people should snatch up? There is one that I was reading about called that Riverhead is publishing, The Mothers by Britt Bennett, that is a book that is set in contemporary Black Southern California. That looks really good. Um, mm. I've just People are talking about it on social media who have read the galley and find it fascinating. It's one of BuzzFeed's 21 new books you need to read. I think I read about it in EW as well. So that is one I would like to read on the fiction side, even though I've been reading so much nonfiction. And then Paul Oster's editor at Henry Holt just sent me his new book in Galley, and it's so, 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 so long, and it's amazing. <laughs> um, let's see here. Yeah, it's about a 1,000 pages long. Wow. Called 4321. <laughs> and it's, the title is 4321, and it's in numbers. And it's, um, I mean, the title is, is numeric, not the book. Right. Yeah. And that's going to be a challenge. Yes. And it's about four different selves, um, four different possible selves of this one character, which sounds amazing. So I'm really looking forward to that. That's coming out in January. That sounds fascinating. How do you set up your life in terms of reading? Because I struggle to get enough time to read. And I can't even imagine trying to stay current on everything. I try my best, but like, what is your strategy for how you read? I, when I have the most energy and focus, which is in the morning now, because I have two kids. So wow. <laughs> that's, that's the time when I'm, when I'm most able to read, I would say, you know, and I think that's probably why not a lot of people read is because it's so hard to have that focus when you're done with your day's work and you put the kids to bed and, you know, you just want to fetch out and you have no energy and you can't even imagine putting your eyes to a piece of paper or a screen. Um, that's what is the, is our challenge. I think as people trying to find audiences, people trying to find the people who read books because people who read books, they don't, it's like you said, it's really hard to find the time. Um, so I, I think maybe that's why audiobooks are becoming so popular. At least one of the yeah, reasons. Yeah, definitely, because so many of us, particularly in LA, I I used to have a really long commute, which I don't have anymore, thankfully. But I did I just kept telling myself, I'm not stuck in traffic. I'm getting a lot of reading done because of audiobooks. It it helped for a little while. Audiobooks yes, are exactly. Exactly. Hmm. And there are really good readers now. So that is helpful. But yeah, I reading in the morning I do find I get more done, even just getting up a little earlier. Yeah, and, and you and then I read on the subway and that kind of thing when I'm in transit. Yeah, that's so great. I do. I do miss being in a city. I used to live in San Francisco, and so I would read a lot on, on transit. And we just don't have that in L.A., unfortunately, as well you know. Mm -hmm. I talk to a lot of agents who have long commutes, and that's like definitely 
a really good thing for them because that's where they get their, their work. That is done. amazing. You know, the thought that like you get all your work done on the commute. That's so great that that's possible. I talked to one editor who just reads a very short sample of a lot of different books that people are talking about so that, you know, at least she doesn't have the time to do to read all these books, but she has the time to read a sampling of each one. And, and that struck me as really smart. Uh, it, you know, as someone working in the business, if you don't have the time to read all of these novels or all, you know, everything that everyone's talking about, you can at least be aware of the writing and the voice and that kind of thing, how the book, how the book flows, you know, and whether you like it or not, then come to, come to some sort of conclusion. I think that's probably good for cocktail parties. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I think on the one hand, I mean, it makes perfect sense and I can definitely see the value of it. And, and part of me was like, oh, I would be sad. But then I would know that a book is really fantastic if I was like, screw it. I just had to read the whole thing. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. That's fantastic. Totally. Well, Tara, I, I'm so grateful to you for taking the time and explaining so much about this industry, which everybody really wants to know what agents are thinking and how they think. So it's helpful to have your perspective. And thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Likewise, I hope I you have definitely, definitely have. Thanks again to Muse Monthly for sponsoring the show. Remember, if you use the code SECRET00 with SECRET all caps, you can get 10% off your subscription at musemonthly.com. Thank you for listening to the Secret Library podcast. The show is produced by me, Caroline Donahue, and Frederick Barry McWilliams Jr., my tireless audio engineer. To get show notes for this episode and all other episodes, please visit secretlibrarypodcast.com. To get updates, literary love, and notification when new episodes are posted, sign up there for Footnotes, my newsletter. And to learn about life coaching with me to work on building your writing life, visit carolinedonahue.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Gold stars to everybody who leaves a rating and review on iTunes. We're so grateful. Until next time, happy reading. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free lifestyle to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads.